I never met my grandfather. He died approximately 15 years before I was born. I'm Bernie Langell, and I want to know what happened to the person I'm named after. Different family members use different terms, but the one I grew up hearing the most was that my grandfather was murdered. Hi, I'm Stephen Cook, multimedia journalist with the Chronicle Herald and the Saltwire Network. And today I have the extreme pleasure of talking to Jackie Torrens, the director of the new and innovative documentary, Bernie Langell Wants to Know What Happened to Bernie Langell, which is having its Atlantic Gala premiere at Finn Atlantic International Film Festival on Friday, September 16th at uh, Park Lane Cinemas. It is the first Atlantic uh, feature to be shown in the festival or to have its uh, gala premiere. And uh, very happy to talk to you about it today, Jackie, and about this amazing family mystery and this this look at, uh, at family histories and how they can be so messy, contradictory, and, uh, and rewarding when you kind of get to the bottom of them. Hey, Stephen, nice to see you. You too. Tell me about just meeting Bernie for the first time and, and hearing the story from him, uh, how that came about and how the wheel started turning into making it into a film. Well, I was on Twitter one night, late one night, and there was a, a public feed that has, has different people that take it over for a week at a time. And a man named Bernie Langell had taken over this feed and he sent out a series of very odd tweets, starting with, um, my name is Bernie Langell. Uh, I never met my grandfather. He died 50 years ago under very mysterious circumstances. And I'm wondering if there's anyone out there who could provide me with any information um, that I might be able to find out what happened to him. And then he basically tweeted out this exceptional series of events that had happened to his grandfather. Uh, the broad overview is his grandfather was a corporal who served at CFB Gagetown in the mid late sixties. And he lived on the base in the married quarters with his wife, Annie and their sons. And uh, Bernie uh, Langell, our Bernie Langell, who was named after his grandfather, who he never met, uh, had grown up hearing this story. And depending on who he heard it from, um, there were slight variations to the story. So uh, in one version of the story, he heard that his grand father had friends over to the house and they were visiting and drinking. And then um, in another version, he heard that his grandfather went out to meet friends. But uh, regardless of what a variation of that was true, essentially his grandfather uh, at one point had said to his grandmother that he was leaving the house and that um, she shouldn't wait up for him. And she went to bed and she woke up in the middle of the night uh, feeling something sticky in the bed. And when she turned on the light, her husband was in bed beside her, um, bleeding profusely from his head. And there was a pool of his blood in the bed. There was also a pool of his blood found at the bottom of the basement stairs. And then a number of odd things like his car, which he always parked in his parking spot, was parked somewhere else and it was unlocked and that was not like him. And his coat was hanging up and his shoes were neatly tucked away. And this was also not like him and not part of his routine. At that point, Corporal Angel was still alive and he was rushed to the Oromocto Hospital where he was put in charge of military medical personnel. And then a number of odd things happened, including uh, a surgeon ordered another doctor to order immediate air evacuation for, to get uh, Langell to Halifax because he was ill with a fra fractured skull and needed to have surgery immediately. That military doctor 
left, never ordered the air evacuation, and there was a five-hour delay. Uh, he, Langell was then put in charge of another medical military doctor who escorted him to the plane hangar to get him to Halifax. And there were eyewitness reports this, that this military doctor assaulted Langell uh, repeatedly, saying, you're going to die today. Uh, Langell finally gets on the plane, is flown to Halifax, and when the ambulance carrying him leaves the Shearwater base, uh, there's a set of train tracks right outside the base, and a train collides into the ambulance that's carrying Langell. Langell still survives all of this, makes it to the Halifax hospital that night, uh, but it's too late for surgery at that time. Uh, they do operate on him, but he dies a couple of hours uh, later, a couple of days later. And there was a short-lived military board of investigation into the events where the family did not have access to uh, the testimony. And essentially the military at the end of the day found itself not responsible for what had happened and ruled that Langell died because of a no-fault fall down the stairs. And this left the Langell family with um, uh, unresolved trauma and many questions and deep pain uh, for 50 years. Yeah, it's hard to imagine having this as part of your family history for so long. And, and we, we all have family mysteries, things we wonder about ancestors or grandparents or parents even. Uh, but something this traumatic with th such a strange confluence of events that happens uh, over the course of these few days, uh, you know, it, it, it must be incredible to watch uh, the younger Bernie Langell kind of unravel what uh, what may or may not have happened to his grandfather. Well, yes. And when I, so when Bernie sent out this series of tweets up with this incredible story, I, I contacted him immediately and I said, my name is Jackie Torrens and I'm a documentary storyteller and would you meet with me? And we ended up going out for coffee and it was really apparent that Bernie had grown up with this story. He, he can't even remember how old he was when he first heard this story. And it just, to me, seemed like a heavy weight for to carry all of his life. It seemed like a dark family fable to grow up with. And uh, Bernie had witnessed some of the effects uh, on his family um, that were now um, going down from one generation to another. And he was under the impression at that time that um, this was stuff that affected his uncles and his father and other members of his family, but him not so much because he had never met his grandfather. The event happened 15 years before he was even born. And uh, so he thought uh, for him it was theory and for other people in his family it was reality. Um, that turned out not to be true as we went along uh, on our journey with him. Um, he made a discovery um, that it, the event had very much affected him and he learned more about um, the very serious ways in which it had affected members of his family. When did you start to realize that there was more than just a, a simple mystery uh, at, at hand here, that this was really about the nature of family history, of uh, even family violence, trauma, you know, the perhaps the PTSD that uh, Bernie Sr. may have uh, suffered from uh, during his time in Korea, uh, that there's so much more beneath the surface than just this series of events. I think I started to realize pretty early on that this was a story about intergenerational, intergenerational family and how it manifests in particular in this uh, particular family uh, pretty early on. Uh, one clue for me 
for that was the fact that Bernie Langell, our Bernie Langell, wanted to go on this journey in the first place. Um, to undertake a journey like this, uh, even though you're telling yourself this didn't really affect me, um, to me that seemed that there had to be a profound reason for wanting to do that. And then early on, the more I got to know Bernie, it became apparent that um, he really noticed in his family that his family kind of operated like separate satellites and there wasn't a lot of communication and he didn't really know them very well and that he only had um, scraps and bits and fragments of this family story. But uh, also there was a, a deep yearning in Bernie that I sensed. Uh, at one point he had spoken to me early on about how when he was a child, his father would drive him past the train tracks at Shearwater and would say, that's where the ambulance um, was hit by a train that was carrying my father. Sometimes he would say, that's where my father was murdered. Growing up, we would often drive by the train tracks at Shearwater. Every time my father would point out that that's where the ambulance that his father was in had been crashed into by the train. And he'd always repeat it. I think he would repeat it because he'd expect people to not believe him. When my father would describe what had happened at that location, I can't remember feeling anything in particular. I'd try to imagine it and picture how it happened in my head, but I couldn't. It was more just a, a factual case, like this is a rock, that's a tree. This is where the train crashed into my grandfather's ambulance. I absolutely feel like it gave me a different father than I would have had under normal circumstances. It took a part of my father, which which meant I was missing something from him, which meant that I'm missing something from me, yeah. And he talked about how that he knew that this event had taken a part of his father, who had also, you know, Bernie's father, Robert, left the home. Uh, he was 13 when his dad died, and within a year, he left the family home. Terrible things happened to the family after Bernie Langell died. Annie Langell was kicked off the base um, within months. Um, and um, they didn't have a lot of money, and uh, Robert and Larry, two of the sons, at a very early age, 14 and I think 12, left the family home. So Bernie was really aware, as he put it, it had taken a part of his father, and therefore it had taken a part of him. And, you know, I come from my own family um, where uh, probably like a lot of families where I only get bits and pieces of my family history. And so I could really relate to um, that longing to want to know uh, the fuller story and to want to have an understanding as to how it has affected the people that you come from and consequently how it affects you. Yeah, I, I feel in some ways that Bernie is very lucky that so many family members and, and people who knew his grandfather are still around because you know, my father passed away, you know, 11 years ago. And, and now, as of right now, all of his siblings are gone. So there's this, and, and I never knew my grandparents on my father's side. So that whole kind of part of the equation is, is kind of gone for me. And I do have questions about my family history on that side of the family that I'll probably never have answers to. So, uh, you know, the, and there's still questions that remain after by the end of the film. But but Bernie, you know, certainly has a clearer picture of, of, of who his grandfather was and, and, you know, how his family was affected by his death. So, um, 
you know, in, in a way, maybe it spurs viewers to kind of consider their own family histories and that if they have any questions, they should probably ask them now rather than letting them fester for, for decades on end. Totally. I, I think very much uh, uh, when we took the, the film had its world premiere in Hot Docs and we had a, a Q&A afterwards and a lot of the questions were about family and intergenerational trauma, which I was um, glad to see that people kind of got what the film was about. Sometimes it's been described as a whodunit. It's not really a whodunit. It's kind of a what done it. What it did this to this family. And uh, yeah, the thing about, you know, uh, even if we know our family story and if we don't know parts of our family story, those stories still affect us and they still affect our identity um, for good or for bad. And in the case sometimes when there are negative effects on a family and then on an individual family member, um, you know, knowledge is power. Uh, there was um, uh, a study done in the States by a doctor named Dr. Brian Diaz and he took a mice and subjected them to the odor of cherry blossom. And every time he subjected them to the odor of cherry blossom, he would give them a shock on their um, feet. So that very quickly they started to develop a negative reaction to the smell, a trauma response essentially to the smell of a cherry blossom. Um, what he then found and his team of researchers found was that this trauma reaction to the odor of cherry blossom was then passed on to subsequent generations of the mice's, the, the rodents family. Uh, so even if the children and grandchildren had never been subjected to the shock that accompanied the odor of cherry blossom, they would have the same trauma response. Uh, so this is how intergenerational trauma works. Um, Dr. Diaz, when I spoke to him, uh, was very um, interesting and ultimately optimistic because he said that reaction can also be unlearned, sort of similar to you know, uh, we humans, when uh, when we discover things about ourselves and then we go to therapy or we take other measures to, um, uh, to basically create a different pattern, a different story. And uh, that's kind of the crossroads that Bernie faces in this film. You know, this is a story that he grew up with. It was placed onto him. And, um, and then Bernie, during the film, found out he was going to become a father and it really um, backed him into a corner to make this decision about uh, what narrative is he going to hand on to the next generation, i.e. his own child. Because of the story, because of the layers, it does draw the viewer in, but it also draws it in, draws us in because of the way you tell the story. And of course, we, we do meet Bernie. Bernie is very present in the film as he uh, pursues his investigation with family members and friends and and uh, and professionals and experts in their field but but also we we get a very vivid glimpse into the past through the use of miniatures which uh, you know you've worked you've been working with some artisans for for these incredible uh, incredibly detailed recreations that are done with 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 small mannequins and miniature recreations of of the home and the the scene of the the train crash and uh, and it's it's just stunning work uh, that is done by these these craftspeople, and 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 also it, it kind of avoids the cheesiness of historic recreations, which almost never work. Uh, you know, it just looks like you know the, the, those Tony Curtis Hollywood Babylon shows or whatever. And they just they just they actually do more to bring you out of the story than to, to to bring you in. But but this has the opposite effect, you know, because it is that three D kind of representation without cheese factor i guess and 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 i'm wondering how 
you know, that became your storytelling tool in, in such a huge way. Thank you very much for saying that. And credit goes to the two artists who created Miniature, who created the 18 different sets based on the Langell family story. And their names are Shelley Acker and Iris Sutherland. Um, Miniature seemed really appropriate to tell Bernie's story because, again, he'd grown up hearing the story from childhood uh, and he wasn't there. So it was in his imagination. And uh, he also heard different versions of it. And so the Miniatures allowed us to recreate 1968 in, with this kind of influence going uh, uh, going back to surrealness, to childhood with, a, with darkness and subversiveness. And also, depending on the different version of the story we heard, we could, um, you know, uh, the miniatures could be moved around to depict the different versions. Uh, this idea came to me about 10 years ago, actually, before I ever met Bernie Langell. I was really taken with the work of um, a miniaturist, uh, an artist who creates a miniature, but also someone who became a criminologist. Her name, her name was Frances Glesner Lee, and she was a rich lady in the States around the 1920s who wanted to go into forensic science. Um, she was told at that time, you'll do no such thing. You're a lady. Why don't you go get a hobby? Uh, miniatures were an acceptable hobby for um, women of a certain economic class at that time. So she began to create miniatures, but she based her basically her dioramas, her tableaus on a real life gruesome crime scenes. And, uh, and the great thing about working with artists who create a miniature is that they are all about the details. So Francis Glesner Lee's dioramas were incredibly detailed depictions of real life crime scenes. Those dioramas to this day are still used to train police officers in detective work. She actually became known as the mother of forensic science. Um, and her dioramas are called the nutshell studies of unexplained death. Um, they are, to me, stunning works of art. Um, and so I was really taken with her work. Uh, at around the same time, I ended up hearing that there is a, a group of artists who create a miniature and they meet once a year in Annapolis Royal and they come from all over the world uh, to spend five days together uh, making tiny things. And uh, when I, I, I actually ended up doing a CBC radio documentary on these artists who create a miniature. And as soon as I saw their work, uh, these artists were largely women. They were largely women of um, a certain generation where essentially their career aspirations had been uh, mixed by the world we live in. Uh, so they poured a lot of their dreams of being engineers and electricians um, into um, the world of the miniature. As soon as I saw their work, I thought, I, I want to tell a documentary story where I use miniatures to tell the reenactments, but it needs to be the right story. It needs to be kind of a dark, surreal, subversive story in the manner of Francis Glesner Lee. So I spoke to Shelley and Iris, uh, the two miniatures I had met at that time down in Annapolis Royal. Um, we actually did a short with um, another miniaturist named Kelly Pinero. We did a short first as kind of a proof of concept. And then um, Kelly wasn't able to join us on the feature, but Shelley and Iris uh, did. Um, yeah, and so that's how that came about. And I have immense respect for the work that they have done on this um, film. They've taken, basically, talk about constructing the story out of scraps and fragments, just like Bernie. They've taken photos, uh, home movies, 
blurry home movies where you can just see a thing here or there. Um, and they have reconstructed the Langell family home, um, Larry Langell's home, who's one of the sons of uh, Corporal Langell. As you said, the, the Shearwater train um, landscape, uh, the OR and Oromocto, a number of sets and their work uh, holds up to uh, close-ups, which um, considering how small their work is, is kind of a testament to, their, to the quality of their work. And their work will be on display at the after party on Friday. So Yes. So your ticket to the gala presentation, we're thrilled that Finn has made us a gala presentation. And your ticket to the gala presentation uh, also gives you admittance to a reception afterwards at the Cable Wharf restaurant, where uh, Finn is displaying some of the miniatures uh, sets used in the film. And Shelley and Iris will be there for the screening. They'll be there with me for the Q&A after the film. And they will also be there at the reception. And they love talking about their work so if anybody wants to talk to them about their work there's your opportunity working so closely with bernie i mean he was really was your collaborator through all of this and uh, you know how do you feel the experience of of delving into this story working on the film and kind of reconnecting with his family how do you feel that uh, changed him through this process uh, I've never done a film like this before. And so we started with the number of questions that Bernie had based on what he knew at that time. And uh, we also worked with a psychologist, John Whalen, who appears in the film, and he helped prepare Bernie for the journey beforehand, and he helped him process it after. Um, and I think the processing is still ongoing, not only for Bernie, but for other family members of the Langell family that took place in our film. Not an easy thing for those who were actually there to go back into the past and uh, to put themselves even more in touch with that pain. And for Bernie, I think he was um, really grateful to get the information. Um, it, there was processing. Some of the information was really difficult. It's hard to have your, you know, even if you don't know the full story, you kind of decide what you know. And when new information comes along, even if you've asked for that information, it's not always easy to process that. I think ultimately there is relief there. One, in that the Langell family story is finally being believed. That's part of what caused the Langell family so much pain is that for so many years, no one believed them. I think Bernie at least is starting to feel like his family story is being believed. He was able to answer some questions for his family, which brought about some healing. Um, and uh, and I think that for Bernie to to have that realization that no, this is this is not theory. His family story has not been theory to him. That he has also been affected by this, so that he can be aware of what family narrative he wants to pass on to the next generation. I think he has found that to be invaluable um, knowledge to have. Well, Jackie, I, I thoroughly enjoyed seeing this uh, feature length version of the story at last, and, and I'm, I'm sure it will be a big hit at Finn. And of course, when it moves out onto uh, streaming platforms, whether wherever else people can see it uh, more regularly, I think it'll be, will it be part of Finn's stream, the streaming version of Finn? It will be part of Finn's stream, and then it will be playing a number of festivals throughout the fall. It will uh, air at the end of November on the Documentary Channel. That is our broadcaster. And after that, it will be on CBC and CBC Gem. And thanks for your support, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Jackie. Always a pleasure to chat with you, and especially about a film like this. And uh, have fun at Finn.
Thank you. You too. I'll see you there. Real journalism goes deeper than the headline. Perspective, context, and understanding requires the full story. Get it in the Chronicle Herald and online at saltwire.com.